I've never told this story. It was like the spring of seventh grade. So I was 13 years old. I had a web hosting business. I was basically renting servers from some guy in like upstate New York. He was maybe 30 years old. I like DM'd him like some joke. So he turned my server off. Like, and I have all these like customers paying me 20 bucks a month, like yelling at me or whatever. I'm a kid, I'm freaking out. And he's like, oh, you can't like talk to me like that. Your server can't come back online. What can I do to get my server back online? Oh, he God. says, send me a picture of your butt. <laughs> but yeah. Just of the butt. So I did it. Wait, did you really do it? Yeah. What? <laughs> and he's like, this is the only way to coming back online. So I went to my bathroom and sent a picture of my ass. Oh my god, dude! Yeah. Like mirror pick? Yeah. And I quickly like found someone new, but got the server back online. <laughs> found someone new, <laughs> a new person to yeah, pay for yeah. a server. Another new, like, server daddy. New server daddy. <laughs> this is Billy McFarlane, the creator of the infamous Fire Festival. He defrauded investors of over twenty-six million dollars and spent four years in federal prison. And today, we're talking about what the documentaries about him got wrong, how he survived prison gangs as a white-collar criminal, even spending seven months in solitary confinement, and why people still want to work with him on Fire Festival Two. I'll be honest, I was. A little bit skeptical before talking to Billy, but this conversation is really, really cool. We get into themes of like what does it mean to truly be free and how insecurity can drive all of us to really, really dark places. He shares a bunch of stories that he's never talked about before publicly, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it and make a judgment on whether or not he's changed. So, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Billy McFarlane. Welcome to camp. Billy McFarlane, what's up, brother? Mark. Great normally, to be here. normally yeah. I started the episode kind of introducing you guys, but you've brought uh, just a handsome Guido. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> would you mind introducing me to John? So I'm trying to hire a security guard. <laughs> John is way yeah. overqualified, yeah. but I figure that's a good place to start. Did you just yeah. feel of this guy's forums last night at the club, <laughs> and you're like, you're coming with me. Like, I, what, I, I who try. is this specimen of a man? John, just like show us off your presence, please. I mean, I got the chain, I got the muscles. Oh, I'm actually a venture capitalist, what? and I don't prefer Guido. I prefer like Dago or Wop, Wop or okay, something okay, like that. Gotcha. Please, I apologize. Please, please. I'm sorry that I crossed the line. I, I haven't commented okay. on your hair, so I mean. <laughs> Dude, I, honestly, yeah, I feel like good. I'm pulling it off. I yeah. got It's a yeah, little great. greasy right now, so yeah. you should feel comfortable. Um, <laughs> we, just, we just did a little TV spot, and we, yeah. his, his chain was, you know, shining in the camera Bro, so yeah. bring the chain out dude come bring on so why are you being Cuban? shy the Cuban? why are you being shy all of a sudden come on yeah let the link show baby don't fuck around i've, I've taken the liberty to rename it the restitution chain yes <laughs> <laughs> this is how we're paying back the bahamas yeah. that's just my plan let's go. Let's go dude how's restitution going oh it's, it's fucking rough yeah um, <laughs> I just got out August 30th, so like what, eight, eight and a half months in, mm -hmm. I've made a payment every like three or four weeks, Yep, paid back like just under 40k so far. I know it's like super, super small, but got to start somewhere, it's, it's a huge ass mountain to climb. Yeah, we're looking at 26 mil. Yep. That sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Is, mentally, it is a fucking, like that is a heavy burden to deal with. Just kind of feels like a hole in my chest type of thing, and it's like, I can't look so many people in the eye until that's paid. Really? Like, it's like, sounds crazy, right? Because it's just such a fucking obscene amount of money. Yeah. But it's like, I just like know mentally that I am incomplete until this happens. Yeah, that does not feel good. No. Like walking around. But at the same time, I wonder, I've, I've talked to another guy that was mm -hmm. in kind of a similar situation that okay. had to pay restitution. Mm -hmm. He uh, was convicted of wire fraud. And he mm -hmm. said that the restitution actually gave him a little bit of a chip on his shoulder that he was like, I can't play small. I'm not paying this off driving Uber. Right. Like I gotta really? play, I, yeah. I, he was like, I gotta play big. Yep. He's like, I, I gotta go for it. Do you feel any stronger need to play bigger because you're not gonna pay this off you know, I, kind I of nine to five? So many questions for you. That's in my entire MO is that like, 
if I go and like, you know, make minimum wage, no one is getting paid. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I might as well go for it and go for it honestly. And if I fail, like that's okay. And at least I can find pride in the attempt. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten so much shit for that mentality. Yeah. Did, did this guy pay his restitution back? Like I've never heard anybody else frame it like He's yes. in the process, actually. He's in the process. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, his name's Ian Bick. He, okay. uh, and it's sort of similar kind of stories. You should check him out. Okay. But uh, yeah, he was like running events in yeah. Danbury, Connecticut when he was like 16, 17 okay. years old. Um, and then was losing money on the events, but telling yeah. the investors that he was making money and then Ooh. was getting, went underwater, mm-hmm. got arrested, convicted, spent three years in like a minimum security prison. Okay. And is currently paying back restitution. Cool. But that's kind him. of his philosophy. He's like, Dude, yo, I awesome. gotta, I gotta yeah. go for yeah, it. Well. And if you go for it, honestly, like, I think that's all that really matters. But yeah, I think just crawling in a hole and dying appeases a lot of people. But like at the end of the day, I think that's a coward move. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, is there any situation where you can just like declare bankruptcy, leave the country? No. That's not I mean, an option. I guess like at some point you can leave the country, but dude, mm-hmm. like, can't run from the problems, right? You gotta, gotta. Take it head on. And that's where we're doing Fire Festival too. To Let's, go, shit Let's go. I mean, but, but I feel like you can kind of run yeah. a little bit, right? Like some people could. I, I just like think that most people don't pay. Yeah. And they, you could only pay whatever you're earning. So I think like most people take the path where they just don't get high income, high stress jobs. Mm-hmm. And they pay, you know, $100 a month or $50 a month for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it, like that's just the wrong way to approach this. And you got to remember the 26 million, like, who did it come from? It came in from investors that knew there was a risk involved. So yeah. if they get back to even, that's actually like winning. Because when you get into this shit, you know you you might lose. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not dismissing anything he freaking did, but they've moved on. All yeah. right? So they get a check in a couple of years. Oh, here's the 100 grand you put into Fire Festival back in 20, whenever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a win. What percent of restitution is going back to investors and what percent is going back to like people on the island and mm-hmm. like sort of like the disenfranchised people that I think people have much more of a stronger connection to. That's a great yeah. question. So the restitution are just to people that were victims of the crime and that were only, that's only investors. Yeah. Really? So yep. the 26 odd million dollar number are purely investors who were lied to by me, you know, before fire festival. Oh, interesting. The people who are owed in the Bahamas, that's totally separate. And like, that is my personal mission to get them paid back this summer. I actually think the number of the Bahamas is only around like $350,000. Mm-hmm. So still a big number, but it's it's yeah. possible That's to- That's a lot more feasible. It's, it's more feasible to, you know, do something productive, earn and pay them back. Yeah, and personally, yeah. I care more about those people mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. like, again, like, yeah, you fucked up. Yeah. You shouldn't have defrauded all these people. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm like, I care about the guy in the Bahamas that's not making a ton of money yeah. that yeah. had a, a shitty week or a shitty year. Yep. Uh, from that then you know like the investor that is missing a million bucks and doesn't even know it right how many investors are there total roughly it's like like between 40 and 50 yeah and you know some who invested many millions of dollars and some who were smaller checks how do you think s- like, oh sorry yeah the, the hard thing for me is like i go back and forth as to like who i owe more i know it's kind of like a weird question when you owe so many people mm-hmm. But there were a handful of investors who backed my first company when I was like 19 years old. This is Magnesis? Uh, it was before that called Spling. Spling. So, yeah, pre-Magnesis. And like those people I feel the most guilty about. And ironically, they are some of the bigger pockets. And like, I think they're less hurt financially than the others, but it's like the trust that I owe back to them. And I yeah. think the money to them is not going to change your lifestyle if they're paid back in six months. But I think like giving them back that trust is almost more important than the money. Yeah, you built up all the social equity mm-hmm. over years, mm-hmm. building up trust, and then 
taken away through a series of lies. It is like and a that hurts thing. you. Yeah. Like that hurts that person. Like like yeah, both ways. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure those people are more affected by the lies than the money. I, I agree. Right. And, and then, is there a way that you've tried to amend the lies? Because let's say over time you're able to amend the money. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Do you mm-hmm. think you'll ever be able to amend the lies to your friends that you defrauded? I think it just takes time mm-hmm. and like. Literally, it's me every month now being like, hey, guys, you know, bad month. I only paid X dollars or hey, guys, like decent month. I paid this, this, like this amount of money. And like just being honest, like here's how I made it. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what's going well. Here's what's not going well. And it's going to take 10 years of doing that shit to to build this trust back. Yeah, that's tough. And are you talking with them directly? Or are you talking with their people? Is there intermediaries? Do you have personal relationships with these people still? Some. And I think like in jail, we all being like people in prison, all kind of like tell each other dreams like what life is like like outside of jail mm-hmm. right i think i expected to walk out and have all of the past relationships just like come run to me and mm-hmm. it didn't happen and it took a really fucking long time and i think i'm starting to hit that barrier now where a lot of people who had left are starting to reach back out like whether it's investors or team members or artists whatever the hell it is right so it's like been like a weird whirlwind the past couple of weeks just like reconnecting back with these people. Yeah, yeah, that's really tough. Now, obviously, you know, I don't, I think a lot of the stuff with Firefest has been covered, the two documentaries, which you still haven't seen? No. Bro, you gotta watch them. (laughs) It's like, I'm curious why you haven't. Like, if this is what the public perception of you is, this is what America is looking at, and this is who they believe you to be, whether rightly or wrongly, are you not curious as to like how you can present yourself in a way that's counter to what it is if you don't know what is being presented? I think the proof the documentaries suck are the fact that you just told me I was eating Dairy Queen in the documentary. Bro, you were eating Dairy Queen, bro. <laughs> Check the Hulu one, one hour, 22 minutes, you're chowing down on some cookies and cream. I, I much prefer the Froyo places where I could just take all the toppings myself and throw it on. Bro, you so, will. Oh, that's why it's bullshit. You were a former fat kid, bro. I love that. Former fat kid energy is the funnest shit. They have, totally fat. But He's like, dude, you would go to the Wawa, you get two crispy tuna melts, okay? And How could I think it was going to Dairy Queen? You go get yeah, chips right. from Lay's. Like you guys have like gas station recipes. It's the funniest shit. What was like your your OG fat boy snack? Dude, I would just like camp out at restaurants, just fucking eat all day. <laughs> it's, it's like I eat like an eight year old too. It's yeah, like chicken yeah. fingers and hamburgers. Like I wasn't eating nice food. It was just like a lot of just like, like comfort food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like taking phone calls, like working. Like what was your what was your spot? Like I don't fuck. I don't even fucking know. Like I just went everywhere and just like ate all day long. I like found comfort through the food. Stopped working out. Yeah. Like I think like subconsciously I knew I was doing something wrong, and I was just like redlining in every aspect of life. Yeah. Whether it was like work, play, food, alcohol, it was like adrenaline. You know, jet skiing, boating, scuba diving, flying. It was all like all to the limit, and just like pushing everything to the absolute boundary yeah do you think that you were genuinely using food as a way to like sort of cover up emotional discomfort that you were feeling or like like maybe even like insecurity you were feeling from like childhood and shit i think that i was trying to find those moments of like wow to justify all the suck that was happening behind the scenes Mm. whether that was accomplishing something physically that was crazy or like just like eating a ton of food and like getting drunk and escaping you know, trying to find a new island of the Bahamas that no one's been to. Mm. I was just like pushing for that one moment where it's like, okay, all this bad shit is worth it because look what just happened. Yeah, pure yeah. avoidance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you're like being, when you're confronting something so painful, you're like, mm-hmm. let me just ignore that yeah. and then yeah. go pursue something that feels good. Hook yeah, up trying to, try to make it worthwhile. Drink yeah. Yeah. like this fucking fondue restaurant you found. Yeah, <laughs> like, who knows? <laughs> but like, I think a lot of people do that in different ways. Like, look at the best athletes, right? Yeah, like, of course, they put themselves through hell, and it's like worth winning yeah. in mm-hmm. their mind, and they justify 
the nine months of suck to yeah. hold the trophy up, you know, Absolutely. at the end of the season. So. Or even, I mean, to like the avoidance thing, like they might be dealing with shit in their personal lives. They're yeah. like, I'd rather not deal with this. I'm going to go right. work out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go get forums like this guy. Exactly. You know what I mean? Let's just go fucking yeah. do these, these shits. No, but you see a lot of guys like that for sure. Yeah, right? of like, course. That, that's an interesting hot take here. The size of your forearms is directly correlated to your personal problems. Yes, that is 100% <laughs> true. Can you attest to that? <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. I got a lot of freaking problems. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. You're trying to push down your problems. You know? Your forearms there get you big, go. baby. I'm curious, in high school, yeah. like I know you've talked a little bit about like your parents. Like They're super sweet. Like mm-hmm. They've been like really good to you. You grew up in New Jersey. Jersey, not yeah. far from here. In high school, did you feel like you had a big social circle? Were you like friends with a ton of people? Were you like prom king dude? Were you like computer coder guy? What was like your stereotype in high school? I definitely had like a lot of friends. I think I was had a lot of like loose relationships. And I yeah. think that kind of carried over, especially in life to whether it's Magnesis or the fire days. Mm-hmm. But I was always doing different shit. Went to like, you know, pretty nice, I would say like really preppy high school but like i would leave and literally go to the hood to like train jujitsu and mma before it was like a popular thing this is oh, like really? 2007 right or like you know friends would be at parties and you know i'll go home to like go on poker stars and go on a poker tournament and like even though i was welcome at the party so right. i was always trying to find ways to like make my own path rather than like just be the party kid in high school and why what was that desire to make your own path like if you have this circle of friends yeah. there's girls hanging around you're going to cool parties what is what were you searching for in that time to validate to yourself? Like, what do you think that was? I think it's like this never ending quest for freedom. Mm -hmm. And I really hate being told no. And I think I have this like weird drive in me where it's like, I can, I want to find out myself what the actual boundaries and limits are. I don't want you to tell me what they are. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm supposed to be in high school and doing everything I can to maximize my college acceptances like Mm -hmm. next year. It's like, fuck that. I want to see how many websites I can make. I want to see, you know, how I could find the toughest guy in the world and, you know, the Ironbound District of Newark to punch my face in. Or like, mm. I want to go on the Poker Stars and, you know, see if I can beat the pros as this kid from my, you know, parents' bedroom. Sure. Yep. So it's, all, I think, all about trying to find my own freedom and find out what the limits were. Yeah. And that doesn't fucking work because, like, I found out what the limits are and that's 10 months of solitary confinement and four years in jail and fucking their life up. <laughs> yeah, that shit yeah. sucks. Now, yeah. I know like a lot of people that have that similar mentality where they're like, I'm going to push limits. I'm going to find where the boundary is. And I, I, oftentimes they get caught up in some mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. I'm curious, like, were you getting in trouble as a kid? Like 12 year old Billy, mm-hmm. are you like stealing license plates or like doing like mischief? Not really. Like I never did anything like bad per se, but I would like, I would do things that wouldn't have concept that in my mind were not like violations of the moral code. Like sure. I would like leave class to go run my business from the bathroom, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in my mind, I wasn't hurting anybody. I was employing three people in India as a fucking 13 year old. Right. Like, Oh, I'm helping them out. Like that was kind of how I did it. So it was like less like childhood mischief stuff and more, more like entrepreneurial mischief. Mm hmm. Now, but your parents are in real estate. Mm -hmm. So they, I guess are not like, in the way we look at like tech entrepreneurs, yeah, I mean, like they were not Zuckerberg people. You no, know what I mean? No, they're New Jersey people. They're not like, they're yeah, not like Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just like solid, like yeah. outside of New York. Yeah, you know? like regular New Jersey. You so know, where did that inspo come from where you're like, oh, I'm going to be fucking Bezos? Like, yeah. why, like, where does that drive come from as a 12 year old? I just had this, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I had this like weird experience where I would, my parents would take me on a lot of, vacations as a kid but we would never go to like nice resorts and sit by the pool like a lot of my peers we would generally go to third world 
countries and like out of the way places that weren't super nice, but they were really, really adventurous. And we'd gone to this like a little island in Belize and I was like maybe like 14 or 15 and I became friends with like a couple of like, you know, local guys there. And like, I'd run away from my parents to have my first like beer or two with these local guys. And then like 18 months later, my high school announces like this marine biology trip to the same island. So I'm like, fuck yeah. And I had these like guys numbers saved in my Blackberry from like, you know, the year and a half before. Now I'm like 15 or 16. I convinced all my friends to like sign up for this marine biology trip. And it's like two teachers and like, you know, 10 of my ridiculous like guy friends. And we land. I'm like, text these guys in the Blackberry. They meet us with like some beaten up SUV, like scoop us up, drive us away, take us out to like the bars and the clubs. And the teachers are looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then the, like, the head teacher comes up to me like that trip when she's trying to punish me. She's like, you're either going to be a billionaire or in jail in 10 years. And I was, I was yeah, like 15, I mean, 16 at the time. She's yep. like, how the fuck do you know these pretty guys? Pretty much nailed it, dude. You, yep. basically, you almost did both. I almost actually, did both. Yeah. Back to back. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. pretty good. I mean, that's wild. Did you have like girlfriends when you were like middle school, high school? High school. Yeah. 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 And like, was there any, like, as you're running these businesses, yeah. like, was there a desire for like female validation? Like, oh, I got this shit popping and like showing girls like the bank account just to like get mm -hmm. that kind of relationship, Kogan? Yeah, for sure. So I had a social networking site I built in seventh grade called Your Hot Site. Yeah. And I just like didn't really know what I was doing, but I had it limited where you can only upload so many pictures. And this is like in the early MySpace days before Facebook hit like the mainstream. And I like, didn't do this on purpose, but like when one girl came up to me, it's like, hey, I can only have, you know, X number of pictures. Can you fix this for me? And it was like a one button fix, right? And then in my like 13 year old mind, I'm like, ooh, I can one button fix it for everybody or I can just do it for her. And uh. then every other girl has to come up to me and ask me to fix it for them too. So I'll just fix it for her. Right. And it's like, I was too young. Like I hadn't even gone through puberty yet. Like I was too yeah. young to like, actually know how to like be with a girl or like right. have any desire to actually do it. But you get attention. Like, yeah, but yeah. it's like, oh, I, I, this attention is pretty cool. And now like all day long, everybody's gonna come up to me asking me how to fix this for him. Like that's yeah. pretty sick. So. Do you have siblings? Uh, younger sister, late twenties. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you're the oldest. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, your parents were probably like pretty doting. Mm -hmm. Like they would give you a lot of attention. Did you feel like they were enabling you in any way? Like if you were making a business, not really focusing on school, were they kind of like, Oh, that's way cooler. Fuck school. No, they, it was mm. it was actually super rough, and they were like very anti pursuits outside of school. Mm. And like literally, I told them that I had a summer job as like a camp counselor, so I can go to Newark, New Jersey, and go train jujitsu. So like mm. they wouldn't know where I was going, and <laughs> like I'd bring home my money that I already had saved from my computer projects. Yeah, and then they would take like literally whenever they found out I was doing a business, they would come and take my computer away. I just had like a you know a. Uh, dresser drawer full of computer parts and build a new one they come keep taking them away so it's like this never-ending battle of like them trying to stop me and you know i felt bad for them because like how the fuck do you handle this like 13 year old menace right it's like <laughs> they're not technology advanced people and it's like i can go on ebay and like ship some parts to the house and pick them up when they're not home and like how do they stop that so it's yeah. kind of like a weird thing for them you know i feel for them oh that's interesting did yeah. you have like mentors at that young age that were like kind of guiding you i would meet people online and I was like really good at pretending like I was older. This is how it starts, bro. <laughs> this, is, this is some Chris Hansen shit right here, bro. Billy walks in and like, why don't you take a seat? Yeah, you've been meeting a lot of people online. <laughs> but I was super, I was 13, 14, so I was the kid, right? Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. true. You're the victim. Yeah. You're yeah, the victim. Right. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a, that, that would have been a great job for you, dude. You're just the kid in the house. The guy shows up. They're like, Billy, run. He, the, guy, the fucking catch a predator guy <laughs> showed I, up. I have never told this story. And uh-oh. It's actually to, some, to catch a predator shit. Let's um, go. I've oh. never told this. I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know how I just fucking thought of it right now. But 
Oh, I know how. I called you a pedophile. <laughs> yeah, you called me a yeah. pedophile. Um, <laughs> I was in seventh grade, so I was thirteen. I, I remember it was like the spring of seventh grade, so I was thirteen years old. I had a web hosting business, and I was basically renting servers, like virtual servers, from some guy in like upstate New York, right? And he was maybe fucking thirty years old, and. I like DM'd him like some joke, like I was a 14 year old kid or 13 year old kid, like making fun of him or whatever. Yeah. So he turned my server off and he's, he's, he's a grown man. Right. And I can have all these like customers paying me 20 bucks a month, like yelling at me or whatever. I'm a kid. I'm freaking out. And he's like, Oh, you can't like talk to me like that. You know, your server can't come back online. I'm like, well, what can I do to get my server back online? Oh, he God. says, send me a picture of your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that is a weird ass request, bro. Yep. Just of the butt, like, yep. come on, dude. So I did it. You got the server back. Wait, did you really do it? Yep. You I was sent- thirteen years old. What? <laughs> you sent the guy. That guy should probably be in jail, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He should be in the cell with you, bro. Yeah. You guys should have bunked up. He's uh, like, finally. Well, now I can kick his ass at least. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. He's yeah. like fat nerd. Yeah, take his retribution, motherfucker. This is why I've been going to jitsu, man. Like, bro, that's yeah. wild. And yeah. so, this, and that was what happened with that guy. Like, you just kind of um, lost touch. Server. Yeah, just lost touch, and like, you know, found a new provider. Whatever it was, months later, bro. But dude, he was like. I always remember sitting in my room and he's like, it's the only way it's coming back online. So I oh went to my, my bathroom and sent him a picture of my ass. Oh my God. Dude. Yeah. Like mirror pick? Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I had like an old flip phone cell phone. Bro. This is 2000, like seven. I graduated from high school in 2010. So five years before that, 2005. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, right? Dude, that's insane. kind of scary. That's how it starts, bro. You yeah. should use that in court. You should have been like, guys, I'm a, I'm a victim, yeah. okay? You guys need to be looking out for me. Did you feel actually emotionally weird about that? Like in the moment, or are you just like 13-year-old boy? You're like, who gives a shit? It's my ass. He was asking me all these weird questions, man. I don't know. Yeah, that yeah. was just the, that was the. Yeah, and then like that was, and then I quickly like found someone new, but got the server back online. <laughs> you found someone new. <laughs> <laughs> a, new a new person to yeah, pay for yeah. a server. Another new, like, server daddy. A new server Let's guy. Go, baby. A new server daddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually where GoDaddy came from. Yeah. That's where I started. <laughs> so guys, I've been talking a lot of shit about marketing, but I invented GoDaddy. <laughs> Dude, that's wild. Uh, and so why, yeah. like, why jujitsu? Like, why yeah. are you like, I'm going to start the biggest business in the world. I'm going to beat people up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then like my sophomore year of high school, I think it was like season two or three of the ultimate fighter. And oh, this yeah. is 2006 or 2007. So super early before the UFC was like mainstream. Mm. And I was like trying to work out, you know, at home. I was kind of like sucking it up with sports at school. And then I see in like TV, like the ultimate fighter came on. I'm like, yo, these guys are fucking crazy. Like, what's it like to meet one of these guys? And I just like went on Google and looked for Brazilian jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu was not permeating like professional culture at the time and like it was in the hood in the hood only in new jersey oh. and so i literally went to the hood to like fucking go and see how crazy these guys were whoa and it's like fell in love dude that's wild yeah and then obviously now it's crazy where mark zuckerberg just competed like two weeks ago yeah. it's like it's totally changed but so anyway fast forward i like sign up for a jiu-jitsu competition in, in like newark new jersey and i take the guy down and knock out my front tooth and my mom who's like comes out of nowhere drives to me and like yells at me in front of 3,000 people like bawling crying like I fucking hate this sport this is disgusting this is terrible <laughs> like my tears out like I'm bleeding everywhere it was kind of a crazy experience like that was my way to rebel yeah and it's like super cool to see how mainstream it is now did you get into street fights mm. never never no, like no, no one not was picking on you no like once, yeah. bullies nothing like never. that interesting yeah. so you just want to fight because like what did you feel like that would bring you in that in that moment like as a kid I thought it was different 
Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's playing football and basketball and you're like, yeah. And then I started like a jujitsu club in my like preppy high school. And like after class, we'd all be like rolling around and the teachers be coming by like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> I had my like assistant football coach, like in the jujitsu club, I'd be like sparring him and like, <laughs> like what's happening here guys. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Cause right now, I mean, you seem like so well adjusted mm-hmm. and especially much more, I, I presume like since, you know, being incarcerated, mm-hmm. but do you feel like in high school or even middle school, you were battling any like personal insecurities that you were trying to overcompensate? For sure. And I think I get bored really fast. And that's like one of my huge flaws Mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, if I can only do this, whether it's, you know, become proficient at basic jujitsu or like build a website or sell a business and then this would happen. I'm like, oh, wait, like this isn't what I thought it would be. Like, what's the next level? And I think if channeled properly, that could be really good for business success. But if not channeled properly, it's just a path to nowhere. And that's like super sad. Hmm. And so yeah i guess getting bored like you create something and you're like that will get me x yeah that will get me uh like what what do you think those x's were in your mind like was it always money was it like oh parental validation was it like oh chicks want to bang me like what do you think was it changing I think it's always freedom always freedom it's always freedom and like sure money could have been a part of it girls could have been a part of it an island could have been a part of it but i think it was like a never-ending search for freedom and everything else was a tool to try to seek and find that freedom. Sure. And did you not feel free? That's a good question. You should be my therapist. On <laughs> 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 your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> free therapy. These cameras are not on, okay? This <laughs> is not cameras working. are not this on. This is an intervention, okay? Uh, Me and John brought you here today. <laughs> no, I'm just genuinely curious. Like, that search for freedom is obviously a palpable human desire. A yeah. lot of people strongly feel it. I yeah. obviously feel it. I want to not be withheld by this nine to five. Yeah. And I look back on my childhood. I'm like, yeah, everyone I knew had a regular job. Even mm-hmm. the wealthy people I knew sure. had regular jobs. They had a car dealership and they were really good at it. Yeah. But ultimately, they were still beholden to this social infrastructure that was sort of ascribed to them. Yeah. That to me always felt sort of, uh, it, it felt fucking suffocating. I hated mm-hmm. it. So I was like, if I, what if I can go do comedy? What if I can tell jokes to people and tour the road and not, and be able to be like, hey, I'm going to take two weeks off and be my own boss. Mm-hmm. And so that freedom felt really good. Interesting. And, and I look at that based off where I grew up. So yeah. for you, like that, what you just said, like that search for freedom, what was the entrapment you were feeling? I don't know. Like that's actually, it's, this is an interesting, I think interesting question. And if you kind of like look back, I'm just like thinking, you know, I read a lot of memoirs in jail um, and I just like never kind of correlated this, but I feel like people who have done creative pursuits, both successfully and unsuccessfully have had this never ending search for freedom Mm -hmm. and have wrongly believed that some quest would give that freedom. Whether it's like, you know, exploring a new land or, you know, going on a bigger tour, selling at an arena or meeting some girl. And at the end of the day, like all it does is move the goalposts. Yeah. And it's like, how can you, it sounds cliche, but how can you like leverage a journey along the way to find that freedom? And I don't have the answer. I don't know if anybody does, but I think it's kind of like man's never ending search to feel truly free. And I think in reality, we can't be free, right? We we live for a finite amount of time. Mm -hmm. We need to like eat and shit and sleep and do all these things so we can't escape the realities of life and i think we all wish we could and whether it's drugs or alcohol or creative pursuits yeah it's probably, like a, it's probably like a futile attempt yeah no i and i i agree with you and a lot of those memoirs like uh dude i loved uh was it walter isaacson's bio yeah. steve jobs yeah it's great, i mean yeah. my favorite book i've ever read mm-hmm. ever and he even touches on like steve's desire to create something great 
a lot of it came from like the Heath seems to think a little bit of like some childhood abandonment from like being adopted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and like, I think with Bezos, a similar thing, yeah. like also adopted. And so a lot of these people are finding are searching for this freedom based off of like some type of unresolved mm-hmm. or maybe even a resolved childhood issue that sort yeah. of changed the way that they interface with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, th- I don't want to yeah. put this on you, but I think like, we all and I'm like not separating myself for a moment. I think we all have these issues. hundred percent. We just channel them in different ways. Yes. And that's where I always like I always laugh when I see like, you know, somebody else's criminal court case gets public and gets all this media attention. Like, oh, they've had these issues here. Yeah. But everybody's saying that person has these issues. You have similar issues too. You, A just, million percent. you just channel them differently. And like, I don't know, I think through this experience, like we all have the same problems in different ways and we just find different ways to fucking cope with it. And whether that's like working nine to five and saying, hey, my life sucks, but it's good because I'm providing for my wife or husband and, and two kids. Or it's like, I don't want to be shackled, so I'm going on tour, and that's how I'm going to justify my existence. I think we're all like a million the same percent. path there. A million percent. I, but I do think people look at sort of the the chemistry of what created the situation, mm-hmm. the more sure. unique the situation is. Yeah. And what okay. you did is extremely unique and mm-hmm. is, is extremely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, I mean, there's two documentaries that were made within two months of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, right. there is obvious desire to know more. And I think because of the circumstances of which you became so prominent a lot of people want to know the background yeah and i think it's atypical what you did so i think people are looking for the atypicality and what your upbringing was makes sense and uh no it's definitely a fair question yeah yeah. and i and i think it's completely reasonable to be like bro i don't know yeah like i'm I'm still working on like that self-reflection yeah and uh yeah i think we all are but like uh, people would ask me especially early on they'd be like i because i my parents had seven kids Damn. Um, sure. Yeah, I know. They started with nine, so it's actually yeah. sad. But no, I'm joking. No, my parents had seven kids, and I was six of seven. Sure. And I remember people asking me, like, oh, you do stand up. It must be because you didn't get enough attention as a kid. Mm. And I remember having resentment mm. towards that because I was like, no, fuck you. I had a great childhood. My parents loved me. Yeah. That's not why I do it. Yeah. And then I look back as I've gotten older, I'm like, maybe there is something to that. Yeah. And it's not a moralistic thing. It's not right or wrong that mm-hmm. that happened. Right. But I do think that that adds to the chemistry of my childhood that made me who I am. I think very few people actually understand all of their like makeup in terms of how they operate. Mm-hmm. And I actually think like that would make us a superhuman, right? If we knew our Madden ratings... Yeah, we could just design our life to find the highest level of success. Like we knew our speed was ninety nine, but our you know awareness was a zero. Like we would just like fucking run straight lines all day long. So I think it's actually super interesting if we can like I don't know. Maybe it's, it's actually a good startup idea to have Madden ratings applied to your personality <laughs> as a human, so you can adjust your life to find this, this peak performance. Guy. This fucking <laughs> that's guy. a good idea. I'm like, who wants to back me on that? I'm like Billy. <laughs> that's I'm a good idea. idea. You can meditate. You can reach enlightenment. You can find yeah. all the reasons Dude, that's why you're the way. Yeah. Madden ratings for like for, <laughs> for every human. And he's like, we're gonna make some money. What do you think? You know. Uh. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I think, uh, idea. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I will invest. Okay. Yeah. Thank my you. Madden rating on uh, on sniffing out bad deals yeah. is low. Okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give, give you my uh, my African bank account number. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude. Just to say, shells, no, no big deal. Do you, so you mentioned <laughs> that you did like you play poker. Yeah, I like in high school. Yeah. Do you like gambling? I I used to as a kid, mm-hmm. like in high school. I, I think I I don't know if I liked gambling as much as I liked doing something that I shouldn't have had access to at that time. Right. right. So it's like, hey, if I'm 15, if I could play against a bunch of 40 year olds and like poker online, that was cool because this is like a new world. Yeah. So I think I enjoyed like, 
you know, I would never be like, oh, let's go play poker right now as my ideal activity. Like, sure, I play for fun if like friends are playing, but I'm not going to go seek it out. Right. Yeah. It's like you like drinking and then you turn 21 and you're like, I don't like to drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like pissing my parents off. <laughs> I like pissing my parents off. Yeah. What's up, guys? We got to take a break real quick because you should feel more confident. That's right. You. You're an amazing guy, but you need a little bit more confidence where it counts. You know how you can order that confidence? You go to bluechew.com. Bluechew is an amazing online service that delivers the same active ingredient as Viagra or Cialis, but it's the chew and it's a fraction of the cost. And here's the best thing. They get sent to you discreetly over the internet. You don't have to go to a doctor's office, talk to a doctor, have an awkward conversation. Oh, you know, I need a little performance help in the bedroom. Hey, guess what? Blue Chew's got your back. Look, if you're one of these guys that's like, ah, I don't need Blue Chew, I'm already having a great time in bed. Hey, maybe you are, but maybe Blue Chew could make it better. Who knows? You don't know until you try. And you can get it at bluechew.com. I'll be honest, I've used it. I went camping with a couple of my buddies the other day and uh, and we forgot anything to sleep in. We didn't have a sleeping bag or anything like that. So I just took a Blue Chew and then we all slept inside my pants. Right? You remember that? Exactly. Yeah, Dove remembers. He was there. And you could have experience like that or you can have a sexual experience with a lover, you know, your wife, your husband, whoever you need. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it, baby. We've got a special deal just for the people that like this show. That's right. You can try Blue Chew for free. That's right. F-R-E-E. Zero dollars for free when you use our promo code GAGNON. G-A-G-N-O-N at checkout. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping. That's nothing. $5 shipping. Cup of coffee with a tip. You can try Blue Chew for free. That's bluechew.com. Promo code GAGNON to receive your first month absolutely free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thanks so much, Blue Chew, for sponsoring the show and helping us out. Now, let's get back to it. And so, obviously, you get into this Firefest thing. The whole event happens. It unfolds. Um, I'm curious, like, specifically the moments of high stress... Like, to me, that is the most interesting thing about it. Mm -hmm. Like, being a day out, being a week out, dealing with that pit. Yeah. Like, what was the most stressful moment? Like, what was the moment where you were like, if a coconut fell and hit me in the head and killed me, I wouldn't care? <laughs> and how many moments were there like that? Every day. Really? Yeah. It, so was, that, it was that persistent? The two months leading up to it, we were totally out of money with mounting bills every single day and, like, mounting levels of importance. Mm-hmm. I think I've spoken about this before, but just like can't harp how crazy this was. I had a full-time employee whose entire job it was was to take all of our vendor bills, organize it into a Google sheet, and rank them by how urgent they were. Mm -hmm. And like the highest level was like deathly urgent, and like the lowest level was like if we don't pay today, we're still fucked. So yeah. there, there's like no level of okay. Yeah. And then I'd literally wake up and be like, okay, I have until two o'clock to get this money from somewhere wired to me, so he can sit there and wire everything out by four o'clock that day before mm -hmm. the bank closes. So yeah. I'd wake up at 9 a.m. Like, all right, fuck, I have five hours to raise two million bucks today. And some days was 50K and some days was $4 million. And yeah. it was every day for two months straight, like Monday through Friday. Like, life fucking sucked. Did you ever attempt to acquire money through, like, non-legitimate means? Like, through, like, money laundering, like, drug shit? Like, no, anything but I, like I, I that? lied to investors. Sure, so, yeah, so, yeah, okay, yeah. 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 But, so, <laughs> That's illegal. Yeah. But, but it's like, like uh, in terms of, like, getting money from non-investors, like, okay, let me get drug money from over here. Let me get this shitty money from over here. I never trying to clean it? I never did any activity to earn the money other than raising from investors. Like, I never did any illegal activity to earn it except sure, sure, sure. For, for lying to investors like i was doing consulting work i was doing this work like right i was like getting money from from magnesis from here and there but it was all like 
through the business means. All the investors were legitimate though. Yeah, they're, they're like, like I, I, this other guy that I talked to, he got into the similar situation where he's like borrowing money yeah. and then kiting money over here to another person and then just mm-hmm. hiding, like moving this whole three card Monty. And then eventually he had to get, get like gangster money. Got it. In order to like cover himself got it. with high interest rates and like loan shark shit. What happened to yeah. his gangster money guys? Did they go crazy? He had to get his hands broken in a couple times. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually? Yeah. Yeah. Holy, that's still real? Yeah, that's, well, oh, yeah, that's a thing. My investors are soft, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't happen to you. They just sue me and take away my life. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, you're like, I'd much rather break my hand. That's yeah, way better. <laughs> Mine is like, call the government and get me locked up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had both. He had, yeah, he had yeah, to break yeah. his hand uh, and go no, to jail. I'm sure. Yeah. So I'm no, my, my investors were not like, in on the ski, I don't like in on the ski. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and yeah, you were defrauding them. No, yeah. they weren't aware of anything. No. Um, but like the one weird thing is that I just didn't have any of my own debit or credit cards for like four months. And I had like literally 20 people who had the passwords to all my bank accounts. And mm. I was like, everything was so loose and commingled. You know, like Johnny would have my Chase card, you know, like Sarah would have my Amex card. And they're all in place, like doing yeah. legitimate business expenses. And like, I didn't even access my own shit. You know, I call one guy, yo, why are this vendor 200K or else we're not going to get our fucking mattress paddings? Yeah. And I like, mean, they would if, all do if it. Everything's it's like so touch and go. Yeah. It, it doesn't all, make sense. There's no organization. To, to, for you to be doing everything. You're like, everyone just, yeah. everyone else do everything because so it's, it's like, no time. I think we see in the movies, like people mm. in the back room, like cooking the books. I was like the complete opposite of that where everything was open. Mm-hmm. Like everybody had access to everything. There was like no hidden banks or anything like that. Like everybody knew at all times how much money was here or there. Yeah. And so I was like super loosey goosey with it. And like, it's terrible, but it's like had a weird approach. Yeah. So now this was kind of fucked up about the Netflix documentary though. They kind of painted him. Think, I'm glad you didn't see it. Cause they kind of painted him like he's using this money for personal gain or something like living the life with it. Right. That's what people don't understand. Or you got to like peel back the onion to really look at all of the shit was going towards trying to make this shit happen. Yeah. You know? So yeah, maybe he lied. Hey, I need 200 grand this afternoon. He wasn't telling that investor, Hey, by the way, we blew through the 25 million already. He's not sharing that information because he needs the 200 grand wrong to do. And he went to jail for it. Yeah. But at the same fucking time, it wasn't like he was putting in his pocket buying Ferraris. Yeah, no, you know of course. I mean? Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is misguided, like you yeah. said. Like, I don't think that you are intentionally trying to hurt people. Right. I think that you are, and I also don't think you're dumb. I think that mm-hmm. was an unfair thing that was painted that you were mm-hmm. like dumb, bumbling. Mm-hmm. I think you are unfortunately a genius marketer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Too good of a marketer for how bad you are at production, yeah, at yeah. Cr- creating events. Yeah. And that's like an unfortunate parallel. If you were a bad marketer, this event would have sold a hundred tickets and it yeah. probably would have been fine. Yeah. Right. You were just too good of a marketer for how bad you were at yeah. producing the event. And, uh, and that sort of disconnect I think is what fucked you up, but yeah. it's not that you're dumb. It's that you're actually a genius in a very specific lane. Mm-hmm. Now I'm curious if you could go back in time, we have a time machine to the day before that first influencer post, Oof. which like is also, I'll give you credit. Yeah. You really did figure out the influencer marketing game mm-hmm. before a lot of people. I mean, like 20, what, 15, 2016? Yeah, it's 2016. Yeah, I mean, 2016, like the way that that high, low model, like influencer yeah. marketing thing was done, like micro influencers, mm-hmm. all that shit, mm-hmm. you figured it out, mm-hmm. which again is to your credit, I think a genius marketing yeah. tactic. Mm-hmm. If you can rewind to that day before it goes out, what do you change? And if you can talk to young Billy, what do you fix to not go to prison? The date. Literally just that date. So we dropped the Instagram post in like mid December mm-hmm. and announced an end of April festival date. So four and a half months. The fucking date, man. Yeah. And 
it was ironic because like I wasn't I wasn't like committing the crimes at this point, but I was still operating with this mentality that we need to level up every fucking day. So it's like, all right, I get to do this festival right fucking now so I can move on to the next big thing. Mm -hmm. I just like couldn't fathom that this is a massive project. I need help. This is career defining if this works. Why not give it 18 months? Yeah. Why not give it 12 months? There is no fucking rush. And what was the rush? I think this constant need to level up. It's like, oh, a festival sounds fun, but I'll be bored of that soon. So like, let's just do it and then go on to the next thing. Yeah. And it's like so immature and silly in retrospect, but that was the mentality at the time. Did you like the attention that you were getting as things were building up? Like as there's like people hitting you up, like, dude, can I get tickets? Hey, can you help me with this? What was like, so ironic is that like, it was so good for business, right? It's like these sponsorships are coming in, these consulting jobs are coming in. You know, and we obviously spent a lot of money, but I made more money than I ever had in my entire life in those four months from announcement until like festival date. Mm -hmm. It made so much strategic sense to, to bring that out over 18 months. Like, why only do that for four months? Like, I was fucking on fire. Yeah. <laughs> why not make that an 18 month period? Yeah, make it three yeah. months and raise money for, or three years, make exactly. money for three years. And like, yeah. one, we can properly execute the festival, but two, I was becoming a fucking beast yeah. in terms of like income at that time. Why not extend that and like really deliver on these projects? Yeah, because so the idea and the marketing was was brilliant. Yeah. Like it's great. Like yeah, a destination so festival, was, like all that shit is awesome. But yeah. it really just was the execution. And I'm my I'm curious if you feel like you're a victim. I mean, not literally a victim, but like sort of succumb to like hustle culture of the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, if people don't remember, like in that era, there's like yeah. so much social media hustle culture, like get out oh. there, make money, fuck everyone, don't sleep, like punch oh. your mom in the head, get like get <laughs> yeah. it going. And yeah. I wonder if you felt external pressure to be like, okay, I'm gonna be great and not necessarily caring about what you were making, but just the fact you were making something cool. I actually think I was really bad at taking in information at that point. Like I wasn't really watching those videos and like, hmm. sure I knew they were out there. Yeah, I, I think that's something I've actually really improved on is just like studying more before like taking massive action. Mm -hmm. But I think I would take the massive action with very little thought. And that was why a lot of big things happened. That's also why I reached extreme failure. Sure. So. Yeah, so I think like I was less victim to like third party circumstances and more victim to my boredom. And it's like, I don't want to be a festival guy. I want to be a tech billionaire. So let's yeah. make this festival happen in, in you know four months so I can move on to be a tech billionaire. Yeah. Whereas like right now I'm like, dude, if I can take 18 months to build a festival, that's a fucking dream life. And Bro, it's like, insane. I didn't have the maturity at that time to understand that. Yeah, and I just think that's a shame. I think that's a good cautionary tale for a lot of people that fall into that mm -hmm. mindset of like, I'm going to be a tech billionaire. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like, you have no connection to the product. Yeah. You don't care about making people's lives yeah. better. Right. You don't care about actually making something that's gonna improve the world. Mm -hmm. You just want to be a billionaire with a sexy word in front of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I kind of feel like you were in that modality in that time where you were disconnected from the product and therefore yeah. the product sucked. Whereas now, if you're a little bit more like, dude, I wanna make something awesome. And maybe the money's great or maybe yeah. it's just okay, but I really want to create a good thing that's going to be a gift to humanity. Sure. Uh, I think that is always going to be a better outcome. So I'm curious in that time, did you mm -hmm. feel like, oh, you were disconnected from the product and just wanting to be like rich or successful or established? I think it's like wanted ultimate freedom. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, how could I just like go faster to get there? And then I'm also looking at the guys who in my mind had the ultimate freedom. So some of these like, billionaire wildcat investors of mine who from all appearances were living this like ultimate free life yeah like these guys aren't doing concerts they're doing this and it's like so in my mind i didn't do that it felt small <laughs> it felt small exactly and like it wasn't small and 
had I executed it, I would have had a really good life and brand for myself. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know how to equate that to reality. Yeah, that's and tough. And also these people who I thought were ultimately free, like, dude, life's not fucking easy when you have 2,000 employees and all these problems, right? right. Like their life's arguably uh, was more unhappy than it would have been running a festival. So Sure. Yeah. And at that time, I know there was a handful of people that were like, dude, this timeline's not going to work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you didn't really heed their warnings, obviously, because you're like, I got to make this shit happen because yeah. I got to move on to the next thing because I'm awesome and I'm a tech billionaire. Yeah. Did you feel like... <laughs> Sounds yeah, great, right? Yeah, yeah, right? As I'm saying, he's like, dude, this is a good idea, bro. That's awesome. Um, in that moment, like, did you feel like you were acting as a narcissist? I've been asked this so many times in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I, I don't know is yeah. the short answer. I think I had this like side to me, which is actually terrible in that I really want to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just like a fucking pussy, but like if, if I feel <laughs> like, like it, and it's true, but if I feel, if I see someone going through pain or sorrow, I immediately feel more bad for them and place that as a priority over whatever my issue is hmm. or issues are. And I do everything to like make them feel better in the short term while fucking everything up in the long term. Hmm. So like, I just don't know how to weigh and I, I really didn't know how to weigh like honesty today for long-term success. And I sacrificed the farm to make someone happy in the moment hmm. every day. And like, I think that's actually a really negative trait. So right. whether that is narcissism to like want to make someone feel better or whether it's just like being a fucking pussy, <laughs> maybe it's a mix of both. I, I don't know. Right. But regardless, you felt like that was a, a bad trait. Terrible trait. Yeah. Terrible and trait. In, the, in time, do you feel like you've worked on that? I've worked on it. And like, I think it's counterintuitive, but you can't run a business when you're sacrificing everything for the needs and gratification of like a lot of people on a daily basis. Especially the short-term sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. That is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Like you can't have any relationship if it's constant compromise in the short term. I -hmm. think you can compromise kind of in the long term and pivot things, but if it's just constantly capitulating on a daily basis, like you can't make any progress. It could be as simple as like, hey, a small investor is like, oh, it's my daughter's sweet 16. They really want this artist to be there at their party. And I know the artist is only going to go if I fucking drag them there by my hand. And mm. I'm going to, and this daughter is crying because her birthday party is not coming together. And now I feel so bad that I'm going to leave my other 100 employees alone when they really need me. Yeah. And I'm going to drag this artist there. So this girl hugs her dad and is all happy. And like, that's warm and fuzzy, but I just fucked my business because I wasn't there. And like, that hurt that investor in the long term, but it also hurt the other 40 investors. But I couldn't realize the damage I was causing because all I could see was like, that one problem. Yeah, and that's tricky. I feel a similar thing. Mm-hmm. I've done that before, which mm-hmm. I call like well-intentioned weakness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like my my intentions are good. I'm here to help people, but as a mm-hmm. result of, you know, helping my friend move, I actually neglected my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my wife is a greater priority to me than like this a friend that I don't really know that well. Yeah, for sure. But just that immediate thing of trying to be well-intentioned was actually weak because as a real man and a husband, I should be taking care of my wife. Yeah. Yep. And uh I think that happens to a lot of a lot of young men where like yeah. they are kind and genuinely generous, but uh, yeah, it becomes misguided. Yeah, and I'm curious why you did the the Hulu doc in the first place. Like the Netflix doc doesn't mm-hmm. really feature you mm-hmm. uh, speaking directly, and the Hulu doc. I mean, again, you haven't seen it. I'd avoid it because the yeah. Hulu doc doesn't make you look great. I'll be honest. Yeah. Like need the cash. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, they paid you. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And was it significant looking back? Do you wish it was different? Do you wish you hadn't done it? I wish I hadn't done it. Really? Um, I, I owed a guy at the time. I was on bail. I, I owed a guy. I, I think their the total contract was like 
maybe I think it was like 200 grand for Hulu. Yeah. And the first tranche, basically three quarters of it just went directly to someone I owed. I, I need to pay him. And it's like, fuck, took the uh, deal, wired, like wired my lawyer the money and he kicked three quarters of it, you know, to the guy I owed. I'm like, so I didn't really see much from it at the time, but I was paying, yeah, paying someone back who I owed. I'm like, fuck, I need the cash. Yeah, it's brutal. We actually had a deal with Fuck Jerry and the Netflix doc that they could use the footage if they gave 11% of the film to ticket holders. And they're also supposed to put at the end of it saying like, Billy for Goad, uh, competition in exchange for giving money to ticket holders, but they never did it. Oh, really? Yeah. So did you, so did the deal not go through or did you? They used the footage. They used the footage, yeah. but you didn't see any of the money they didn't, or the no, ticket holders didn't, didn't see do any of the money. Yeah. And they didn't put the disclaimer. No. So oh, wow. my guess is the, the fuck Jerry guys never told Netflix because I signed the deal directly with them. Hmm. Yeah, and they're like their CEO guy. I think it was just like a. I mean, I was committing fraud too, but I think yeah, he's yeah. also a fraudster. Of course, <laughs> so, sure. So he, I think my, my guess is he didn't tell that other production companies or Netflix that that's how they got the footage. Did you feel like it was a conflict of interest that they were producing the doc with Netflix? Not really. They didn't, they didn't really do. I think their involvement was certain in the festival was certainly overblown. Oh, really? Yeah, they didn't really do much. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so when you say he's a fraudster, like not related to the festival, like externally. Yeah, I think like my 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 real exposure to the guy was when he was making the documentary. Gotcha. And like he took like a very threatening approach. He's like, oh well, if you interview, you know, we'll give you this is to everybody. We'll give you creative control over your interview. If you don't interview, we're gonna fuck you, make you look like a scumbag. And he yeah. was like running around to all the investors, like an employee, saying that. Yeah. And then obviously the footage, we signed a deal saying he would give eleven percent back ticket holders, and just I'm sure he just never told anybody. Damn. He's like, oh look, the footage we got Netflix, like give me a pat in the back and and it's all bullshit yeah it sucks yeah so the day you get sentenced yeah you're sitting there in the courtroom mm -hmm. your parents are there yeah what was that first conversation like with your mom after sentencing dude all i just heard is like I i'm in custody so like i can't leave the court like jumpsuit um yes yes whoa yes um so i'm in custody i'm, I'm shackled like my, my legs are shackled crazy right and then um I th my family's sitting behind me and then like the other side was sitting on the other side. And like when the judge said six years, I just heard like the gasps. I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> that was like a really raw, like emotional feeling. It's a fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, is it like blackout? Like, do you feel the blood rush away? Like what is the physical feeling? I just heard my family gasp and then not, not, oh, and then one of my lawyers just goes, oh, it could have been worse. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh God, I could have got the death penalty. Yeah. Sure. Doesn't make What's me that? feel good. I could have gotten eaten by a shark uh, like six months ago, too. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Could have been worse. Don't say that to someone. Someone's in a car accident, yeah. paralyzed from the neck down. You're like, dude, could be dead. Like, what? Like, yeah, bro. My poor mom's probably having a heart attack behind me. It yeah. can't be much worse. That's like, a good lawyer for him, though. He's yeah. getting ahead of himself, being like, yeah. hey, could have been worse. Could have been worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's wild. I mean, as far as like precedent goes for this type of thing, like yeah. fraud, and like the crimes that you committed yeah. did you feel like the punishment was more harsh as harsh as it needed to be or less harsh like did what could it have been worse i think the punishment was totally fair really yeah and unfortunately i i think there is a time period in prison and i i believe our threshold is all different where if you exceed that threshold you are just fucked for the rest of your life mm. and i think that my time in solitary confinement was on the border and like i'm not sure if i crossed it i might have i might not have but there are just like ramifications from that and yeah. like that is really sad however i think just like based on what other people get i think my punishment is fair sure when i started my sentence 
I started a, a prison in the New York area that had a lot of financial crimes guys. Mm. And a lot of them had lost amounts that were way higher than mine and like less time. And I'm like, fuck, this is so unfair. You know, this guy defrauded investors for $100 million and only has two years. Why do I have six years? And then as I got transferred to more jails, like further west, like I was in a jail in like Ohio. Mm. And there was a guy who had like a million dollar crime in 25 years. Wow. I'm like, oh shit. Mm. And like the guy had done a lot of great things in his life too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's I'm like, crazy. oh fuck. I'm, yeah. And like, and, like you know, and, like, even though it's like a federal system, it's like, wow, I, I'm just sitting there one day. I'm like, wow, I'm really lucky that I was in New York City where all these big boys are and they're used to seeing these billion dollar bank fraud cases like, you know, mm-hmm. on a regular basis and I'm nothing. But if I'm in fucking Minnesota, I could have gotten 25 years mm-hmm. just because I'm the biggest fish in town. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, even though the system should be fair, it's never totally fair. Yes. So at the end of the day, like, I think my sentence was fair. And if I served 25 years and lost my life, like, I think that's too extreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's but also if I just did a year, it probably wouldn't have been enough. Yeah, so I, think I, mean, I think it's fair. Really subjective. And I know, like, I knew a guy, this is a personal story, so I'll leave out the details. Mm-hmm. But like, I knew a guy uh, who was convicted of defrauding like elderly people, mm-hmm. like through like pension accounts. Mm-hmm. And his punishment was way harsher because it was, yeah. Uh, like I guess they would say like uh, an oppressed class or something mm-hmm. like that or mm-hmm. people that are indefensible. Um, did it make any difference who your investors were? Like if they're business people, do they look at it like, ah, it's not as big of a deal? Like, does that matter? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. And like there is a human element that goes into it, that goes into the sentencing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, right? You have to look at all aspects of the crime. And like, I think that every judge and every prosecutor probably has their own process sure but you, you, i mean you have to look at it yeah it, it's like a rule of thumb for like angel investors or early stage people that would invest in something like this for every 10 deals you're kind of assuming seven of them are going to go to zero anyway right you want three of them to be that potential unicorn mm. it's also probably worth mentioning too the concert goers that he was selling the tickets to that showed up a lot that pissed a lot of people off too most of those people got their money back sure. for chargebacks from the credit card company. Ah, interesting. You know what I mean? So all those people buying those villas and all the shit and bitching about their grilled cheese and stuff, right. or their cheese sandwiches, <laughs> they all got their money back for the most part. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm actually curious, like now you're in prison, at this point you're mm-hmm. a national news story. Mm-hmm. I know you told Milk Boys, like you didn't really see much of the mm-hmm. controversy at mm-hmm. that time because you were kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you were locked away. Yeah. Before that though, obviously that weekend, it's trending on Twitter. Like, were you reading Twitter and like seeing the feedback in that moment? I just remember being like, when the festival got canceled, like being at the festival site and just fielding phone calls from, I would say like two dozen of the investors who were all telling me what to do. And it was like, just like conflicting information. Oh really? One guy's like, if you don't go on the media right now and try to sell next year, we're gonna fuck you. Then that person's like, if you don't shut the fuck up, we're gonna fuck you. So (laughs) it's like, they're all just like equally important. And all telling me conflicting things, and I was just so fucking confused. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it like was like the, really hard to. Yeah, it's like I have you know a thousand people I'm trying to fly off the island, seven hundred employees at the time who are like running around like chickens at a head, and now two dozen investors who are all very well connected, powerful people, all telling me different things. Yeah, <laughs> it's like how do I handle this like mass amount of information? And that was just like super fucking difficult. Did you feel like a failure in that moment, or were you still optimistic? I think that like 
I heard what I wanted to hear from the investors on the phone. Mm. So the ones who told me like, sit down and shut up, I ignored them like, oh, they're wrong. And the guys who are like, this is gonna be a comeback story. You're gonna go on the news right now and sell tickets to next year so we don't lose mm. all of our fucking money. I'm like, yeah, they're right. And so like, <laughs> I went on the news and did all these stupid ass interviews from the festival grounds talking about, oh, I messed up, but we're doing this next year, blah, blah, blah. So mm. yeah, it was just like a weird situation. Do you think that was a mistake in hindsight or are you like, I just did what I should have done with the information? In, in reality, I don't think it fucking mattered. Gotcha. Like it was all just like a fucking clusterfuck and whatever I said at that point, like I wasn't committing a further crime, yeah. but it wasn't going to take away from the crime that was committed. So I think it was just like an irrelevant, you know, dust mm-hmm. in a much larger, like much larger desert. You know? Yeah. That is an interesting mm-hmm. attribute that I've found amongst a lot of people that are just inevitably successful is mm-hmm. that regardless of, if, of what has happened to them, whether mm-hmm. criminal or not, there is an unwavering self-belief that it will work out yeah. <laughs> and for you to stand there on the festival grounds of like the most prominent failed festival of all time to be like it'll work out yeah shows to me at least like an unwavering self-belief that i think is cool and is awesome in people that it works out in yeah. and then mm-hmm. when it doesn't work out people look at you like an idiot narcissist you know yeah. evil person yeah. um but i don't i think the behavior is the same across the board yep like we had Israel Adesanya, the UFC fighter, on yeah. the pod the day after he lost to uh, Alex Pereira. Nice. And he was like, yeah, I'll get it back. Like it didn't even cross his mind wow. that he could lose again. Wow. Like it, it was just like such unwavering focus that didn't seem inauthentic. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like, right. you know, arrogance or overcompensation. Cool. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to be great. Mm-hmm. So again, not to compare you to Izzy. Yeah. But uh, it is an interesting <laughs> attribute yeah. to be like, yeah, in the face of failure, I will continue to to try to succeed. I think it's cool. What's up guys? We gotta take a break real quick because I gotta tell you about the best vases in the game. Yeah, you heard me right. These are the best vases in the entire world and they're brought to you by the freeze pipe. Now, this type of vase has a lot of different purposes. You could use this for many different things, but the thing that I recommend and what YouTube's monetization team recommends, say use it as a beautiful flower vase. Now this vase is different than other vases, okay? Because most vases, you sniff into them, and all of a sudden all this hot air will go into your lungs, you'll start coughing, <coughs> you know, your lungs will get full of hot air. But with freeze pipe, this chamber right here is a glycerin chamber. You put it in the freezer for one hour before you want to smell some flowers, and then guess what? It cools it over 300 degrees. So then when you smell it, it's nice and cool. Your lungs fill up with a nice refreshing breath of air. That is what I love about these vases. Not only do I use a vase like this for my flowers at home, my grandma has a vase like this. My mother has a vase like this. I got it for her for Mother's Day. My best friends use vases just like this for their own purposes at home. Maybe sometimes before going to bed, you just wanna stop and smell the roses. So if you're interested in getting a vase just like this, you don't have to pay the king's ransom. And you can do that by visiting thefreezepipe.com. That's correct, thefreezepipe.com and use the code GAGNON, that's G-A-G-N-O-N, and when you smell flowers, you will never gag again. That's correct. You can get 10% off your entire order at thefreezepipe.com. Code GAGNON, G-A-G-N-O-N, for 10% off. Shop today and say goodbye to harsh-smelling flowers. Now let's get back to the show. What's up, guys? We're going to take a break real quick because you need an attorney. That's right. So did I. Just a few days ago, I was flying home from a show in Phoenix with Andrew Schultz. Great weekend, but I got put on an airline that I don't usually like. Let's call it United. I flew United back to New York City. Guess what? I'm getting the middle seat. Yeah, no status. Back of the plane. I'm sitting there. The guy in front of me reclines his seat all the way back before takeoff. I'm not expecting it. I have my head leaning on the front of his seat. And then guess what? My vertebrae collapses. 
I'm entitled to compensation. I should sue United. I could even sue the guy in front of me, but I didn't do it. You want to know why? Because I was scared. And I thought finding an attorney would be too difficult. You know what I could have done? I could have reached out to Morgan & Morgan. Morgan & Morgan is the most reputable and trusted personal injury law firm in the entire country. That's right. With over 100 offices nationwide and over 800 attorneys and over $15 billion recovered for their clients, they could be the law firm for you. If you're ever injured in an accident, you get in a rear end, you're a fender bender, you slip and fall, and you're looking through Google and you're like, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know how to get an attorney. All these sketchy websites, is this guy gonna rip me off just for one phone call? Is he gonna cost me a million dollars? Who knows? With Morgan & Morgan, their fee is free unless they win your case. That's right, you spend $0 unless Morgan & Morgan wins your case. It's an amazing deal. And here's what's even better, it takes no time to submit a claim. That's right, eight clicks or less, you go to their website, you can submit a claim, just like, I don't know, ordering Uber Eats or buying something on Amazon. It's that easy. Literally, you can submit a claim in eight clicks or less and it costs you $0 unless they win your case. If you're ever injured, you could check out Morgan & Morgan. Their fee is free unless they win. For more information, go to forthepeople.com slash gagnon. That's correct. For the people, F-O-R, thepeople.com slash gagnon, or dial pound law. That's pound 529 from your cell phone. F-O-R, thepeople.com slash gagnon, G-A-G-N-O-N, or dial pound law from your cell phone. If you're ever injured, it doesn't have to be a hassle. It doesn't have to be sketchy, and it doesn't have to cost you a ton of money. Now, let's get back to the show. And when did you get involved in Billy and his story? And what drew you to this guy in the face of this massive failure? Yeah, and I'll comment. One of, one of the things you just said, though, remember that one scene in the, this is what I thought was really impressive about him. Remember when everybody was getting off the buses and it was a shit show yeah. in the documentary? He's standing on a freaking milk carton, I think, or some kind of table directing people. He mm -hmm. knew the freaking sky was falling. Yeah. He's 25 years old and he's still right there in the middle of it. He didn't run and hide. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of people would have, Frickin' been on a jet ski on the way to Miami. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, no. he, he knew this wasn't working. He was trying to make this thing work Yeah, you went still. down with the ship. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's you know? admirable. Yeah. You also sang the ship, which yeah. is stupid. <laughs> yeah. But, I, like, in that moment, were you, yeah. like, when did you reach out? Did you guys know each other yeah, before? Yeah, no, no, no. So, um, I just wanted to comment on uh, on that. But he, um, so we, we, I actually have a podcast. He was a guest on it. I'm a venture capitalist. He told me kind of what he's thinking the future looks like for him. And I'm like, you know what, dude, <laughs> he's all over. You can even see kind of talking to him right now. He's, he's got these big ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Hey man, if you had a guy like me, I'm a little bit older than him. I'm in a lot of deals like the Fire app and tech, not, not Fire app particularly, but I'm in deals like that. I look at this shit all the fucking time, mm -hmm. all right? So I see in him what a lot of these tech entrepreneurs like they want to have, but they don't have, all right? There's some people out there raising money that have no business owning a business. Mm -hmm. They have a good idea, but they can't do shit right, all right? And when I talk to him, I'll get a follow-up email 30 minutes later, bullet pointing everything we just freaking talked about. Mm -hmm. He actually does what he says he's gonna do. Got to know each other a little bit better, and I went and rewatched the damn Netflix thing, now with a fresh set of, set of eyes, mm -hmm. not, not just being like, oh, fuck this guy, fuck that guy. I watched it really closely, yeah. really closely. And it's like, you know what, man? As an entrepreneur that's out there raising money, all right, there's a very fine line between optimism and lying. Yeah, delusion. Every, <laughs> there is not one fucking entrepreneur that's ever come to me trying to raise money and said, oh, you know, this uh, might work. <laughs> yeah. They all have home run, home run ideas, right. okay? And, um, you know, I'll, I'll even look at, you know, 
there's something in, in the in this in the venture capital space something, something called convertible notes and what, what that means is they're raising money because they're planning on a bigger investor to come in so i'm going to take these smaller checks 50 grand 100 grand half a million dollars some institutional money will be coming in down the line of 20 million dollars and that money might never come and they're sitting there spending your 50 grand, 100 grand in the freaking process. Mm, you okay. collect some small fish to get the big whale. It, well, that's the idea to keep the, to keep the business open, up and running. We're gonna collect these checks and then we're ready. We're gonna get a big institutional check in here. Well, well, if that institutional check doesn't come ever, the business ultimately ends up closing and all those people that put in the 100, 200 grand on the way, they're fucked. Yeah. That's money gone. Mm -hmm. That's money gone. You know what I mean? And if you really look at it from that lens, everything he did, is right in line with that. Mm. He just didn't have an institutional dollar around coming at the end. He blew through all the freaking money. And, and, and what's funny is him always not, you were saying earlier about how he doesn't want to uh, disappoint people. When Firefest, when the venue got changed, they got kicked off of an island and moved to another one. All right, he didn't have an island. He had to freaking put his head on a swivel and go find one. Yeah. To just cancel it at that point. He didn't have the heart to go tell people, oh, half your fucking money's gone, or yeah. it was probably would have been more than, yeah. they wouldn't have lost half the money, but it would have been a little yeah. bit of a loss. And that's that well-intentioned weakness in that moment. Exactly. That I think people need this to work causes on. causes more long-term issues. Yeah. 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 Well. And not to mention the app that was attached to this thing, all yeah. that shut down because of this too. Yeah. Oh, Jaw Rules app, yeah, I like yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan. The brainchild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the tech guru. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like he uh, took the idea, like I know right now Jaw Rule has an app, again, for backstory, the original fire app yeah, is basically yeah. like tinder for talent yeah. uh and right. consumers like if you want you know coldplay to come play at uh your daughter's bar mitzvah mm -hmm. you can pay them half a million dollars to show up and you can swipe on them they can get the thing swipe on it and mm -hmm. that's it if you want to book mark for an after party after one of his tour dates exactly. you can go in there yeah pay him probably hundred thousand dollars he'll show up no, for no, 10 no, minutes cheap. do a set free, 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 free beer, <laughs> free beer. Yeah, yeah. two chipotles let's <laughs> two go chipotles. <laughs> uh, but yeah so now that was the original app and then yeah. the festival was kind of like an extension branding arm for the app and yeah. now ja rule apparently according to the documentary mm -hmm. has a similar app mm -hmm. is it do you feel like it is a infringement on the ip so uh festival failed in 2017 i was arrested six weeks later mm -hmm. um got out of jail in 2022 just a basically a little over five years after this all happened. Come see me in, in 2027 and see what I've done. And for everybody who says like, oh, I was the brains behind this, the brains behind that. What the fuck have you guys done? It's been five years. Right. You guys haven't done shit. Come, come see me in 2027. <laughs> I'll check the scorecards then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. do, you, do you feel like he took the idea? Are you allowed to comment on that? Uh, I, I, I mean... He probably, I think he tried to replicate it, but I, just right. don't, I don't think it's done anything. I haven't heard, I, don't, I don't know much about it, so I don't want to speak to what I don't know. But sure, sure, sure. I don't think he's done shit. And it's like, dude, I'm going to do way fucking more in the next five years and he'll have done in the 10 years since. Sure, sure, sure. He's wanting to be close. Yeah. Now, again, we have a little bit yeah. of time, so I want to touch on Pirate yeah. and get to the new stuff. I'm curious, Prison, I know mm -hmm. you told the Nelp Boys you got, in, you got in a fight that then became not a fight. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's four years in prison. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of other situations that came up. What what car did you run in? Mm -hmm. Like, what people were oh, you you're with? asking the real questions, though. Like, were, were, you, were you a chomo? Did yeah. they think you were a chomo when you first got there without papers? Like, what, what were some of the details about prison that... Uh, that people might not know. I think that like, I just didn't understand the racial system. Mm. And it, like prison is just very far behind culturally. It's, you know, 450 years behind, I think your average American society. Mm -hmm. And then maybe 80 years behind New York City where mm. we were just like by default, very liberal socially. Mm -hmm. And 
I think I get to jail. I'm in the Brooklyn Detention Center where there's like there's like you know real rough guys in there. Isn't that where Galene Maxwell is? Um, I uh, I think she started there, but now she's wherever her permanent spot is. This gotcha. is like a, it's more of like a pre-trial place. Got gotcha. you. Um, so it's basically people who don't get bail. So it's generally not generally not the best best cast of characters. Yeah. And there's like a table with like four white guys, and two of them have like Nazi tattoos all over their face. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like twenty four year old you know black kids who like like the same things as me. Yeah. And like naturally. I'm gonna go hang out with them and not the fucking 50 year old guy with a swastika yeah, on his forehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I've never seen that guy before. Like yeah, this yeah. could be my friend. Yeah, and that just did not go over well. And like I didn't understand that. Like you kind of got to pay honor to your race yeah. and like at least pretend to like respect them or care about them, no matter how crazy or wrong or much of a scumbag you think they were. Yeah, it's a and bizarre so it's like, dynamic. Yeah, it's like bizarre dynamic. It's like I get along more with someone my age with similar interests mm-hmm. than a fucking Nazi, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like yeah. not how things work. Yeah, it's a weird way to say you hung out with Nazis. But uh, yeah, that is, <laughs> that is wild. That's a wild, I would, yeah, I wouldn't tell people that. But yeah, that's, <laughs> but did, when you were getting moved around, yeah. what was the fi- the system you spend most of your time in? Um, so did like the last year and a half, two years at a jail just outside of Detroit in Michigan. Okay. It was actually probably the best one I, where I was. I think at the the I started more of like a white collar focused facility, mm-hmm. and I actually thought it was terrible because really? I was one of maybe five people under the age of thirty there. Uh, so I felt like all eyes were on me. Where it's like you know if I took a shit at the wrong time, I felt like they were there to like get me in trouble. Yeah. Whereas at the place in Detroit, there were like actual gangs doing actual gang things, mm-hmm. and I'm not doing anything illegal. So it's like oh, as long as he's not like causing attention to us, it's like you know let him go. And like they didn't like they weren't down my ass, so That's I think I actually felt like a little more free, even though it was more restrictive in terms of like the rules and the movements and where you can be, what you can do. It felt more free because they didn't have you know all the guards looking over my shoulder twenty four seven. Was the Detroit spot was that a maximum or a medium? Uh, it was a low. Yeah. It was a low security. Yeah, okay, low, cool. Yeah. So how much yard time did you get? Um, it was maybe. I was outside for a few hours a day. Nice. Yeah. And did you ever have to pay for protection either within the prison, anything like that? Never paid for protection. Okay. Um, I think like my entire focus in jail was I'm not going to make a single dollar here. And that really did well for me. Hmm. I think a lot of people like have hustles, whether it's selling drugs or selling cell phones or cooking or cleaning. Like there's always some like hustle that people have. And if you just like don't owe money and didn't get in the way of somebody else making money, just no one really gives a shit. Yeah. You're able so, to like, kind of stay out. That of was it. kind of like my my mentality is like i'm not here to you know try to make ten dollars from somebody it's sure like, stay out of the fucking way and you know and like hi i didn't spend a lot of money but you know if i spend three hundred dollars a month that was enough where i was like paying people to do shit for me right mm. and like so like i'm an asset not a liability at that point right and i'm sure people are aware of you at this point the news is national yeah people kind of know who you are mm-hmm. are they is that affecting your time in prison so it was like actually interesting um i felt like the like the leaders of the groups were if you're able to lead a large number of like criminals, like you have skill sets that would make you successful, arguably in different aspects of life. Sure. And I felt like I got along better with like the leaders Mm -hmm. because they viewed me as like a come up for them in a later time in life. Whereas like your low level guy who got busted with like a couple guns and some heroin, like can't think past like this hour. Right. He's like, Oh fuck this kid. You know, maybe I can get a hundred bucks from him today. Mm. Or the guy's like leading the gangs. Like, no, like, wait, maybe if I know a guy in New York and, you know, he knows some music artists and, like, I can get he knows job, investors. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. I don't have access to that life. And, like, they would be actually closer to me. And I'm sure a lot of it was, like, for bad purposes. But, you know, 
we're all manipulators in some sense, right? And like, right. They would, they would like, you know, cozy up to me. Which That's is interesting. interesting. Yeah, I've heard people that say, like, if you go to prison for financial crimes, you'll just get put with a lot of people that have been to prison for financial crimes <laughs> and then get better at financial crimes. <laughs> like, did you find yourself, like, trading, not crime stories, but, like, like business stories and, like, learning how to do business better through other people you were around? So at the first jail, there was a bunch of people with much larger financial crimes than me, but I just didn't last very long there. Mm-hmm. So these other jails just, like, weren't, that many people who had any kind of like venture capital startup business. So I didn't really have anybody to talk to yeah. that much about that. And it was always really funny because I'd have people come to me every day, you know, asking about like credit card scams or like PPP loan scams. Yeah. And like, truly, I just don't know how to do any of this shit. And they would never believe me. Oh, that's <laughs> so like, funny. yo, man, I got these numbers. How can we do this? I'm like, guys, like, <laughs> if I can get out tomorrow by helping, like, truly, I wouldn't be able to go home. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. And no one believed me. They all thought I was, like, some, like, credit card scammer. Right? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so it's, like, really, really funny. Yeah. Because I just don't know how to do this. And then when you're in solitary, you get put in solitary because yeah. you're trying to do a podcast over yeah. the payphone yeah. and, like, 15-minute increments. You're trying to record a book through a voice note, mm-hmm. uh, which you could have just written down the book, right? Yeah, like, uh, like, there's a lot of ways to write a book. <laughs> you should have been there with my ass. And like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need a job. Exactly. I need the forearms. Well, yeah. <laughs> Bro, what yeah. are you doing? Before I'm smash me down. So you're doing all that shit. You get put in solitary for seven months, which is like insane. Yeah, I mean, that is a brutal thing. Um, all the people I know that have been in solitary, they're like, you either go crazy yeah. or you dedicate yourself to like reading and learning and doing mental exercises and basically like getting into this quasi meditative state. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you were reading memoirs. Mm-hmm. What else did you do to stay sharp? Dude, the worst part was you were only allowed to have two books a week. Mm-hmm. And when you have nothing else to do, it sounds like a lot, like if you're leading a life, when you have nothing else to do, no cell phone, no internet, no TV, no radio, can't go outside, you just read, right? So you're, you're doing a book a day if you're like trying to go slow. Yeah. And when you can like, once you're done reading it, like really it was fucking hard. Like it's crazy how the punishment was so extreme where you couldn't even get books. Yeah, I mean, that seems kind of unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. Like, why not just give more books? Like, if it's only gonna better Like, let us learn, right? Like, it makes no sense. Did you get religious at all? Were you reading the Bible? Like, did that impact you? I read some religious stuff. I didn't get super religious. Did a lot of meditating. And that was like the best use of time. The most spiritual thing that you did. Yeah, I just did a lot of meditating. And like, but you have to. Do you still meditate? Uh, and, and I stopped and that's, that's bad. So you gotta get back make, on Yeah, make me get back to it. Yeah. That's, no excuses. That's bad. And bad were you, were you raised religious in any capacity? A little bit. Like, what were your parents? Fam, family's like Greek Orthodox Christian, whatever. Gotcha. But like, yeah, was never super religious personally. And then in prison, you ne- like didn't re- revisit it and have like a, a, a moralistic or religious awakening or anything like that. Definitely read a bunch of stuff. And like, I think intrigued intellectually, like, of like all the religious like texts and everything like that. I don't think there's like a certain religion that I'm like, yeah, I believe this is the one. Mm-hmm. And I think like the principles of a lot of them are like, I think the principles of Buddhism are pretty interesting, especially in like solitary confinement. Sure. Or it's like, you know, simple mentality. Hey, if I can like try to find a way to help this guy in the cell next to me, who's been in here for three years, like that's the higher calling. So I think like that was an interesting part of the journey, but I'm not like a Buddhist, I wouldn't say so. Yeah. yeah. And then any other jobs in prison that you had to do like orderlies, like, cooking yeah, cleaning I, I, stuff i i worked in the record i'm not really sure what i did though so <laughs> <laughs> i paid someone five dollars a month literally five to do my job for me so oh know. really yeah, and what was the job technically i don't know 
You literally don't even know. You're just like, <laughs> did your parents send you money while you were in there? Uh, very rarely. It was, oh, really? it was mostly friends. Yeah. Got you. And yeah. what was the currency while you were in there? Was it like cigarettes? It's all stamps. It's like stamps. mailing stamps, like US postal mailing stamps. Oh, interesting. So you'd send someone like a hundred bucks and then like they'd show up with, I don't know, like a packet of stamps. Like they were like all rubber banded together. It was right. like like it was like money. And why it was like you... funny? Like guys in jail would flex and like hold their stamps up. Hilarious. there. It's like a money like, dude, spread like, it all out on the like bed. Forty seven dollars, man. That's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, it does kind of like expose fiat currency a little bit. Where yeah. You're like, oh yeah, it is just whatever the system of the moment says it is. Yeah, it's just like so literally, funny. That, that was but... so interesting. And just like trying to explain to friends who are like super super straight edge. Yeah. They're like, oh, we don't believe you. The world doesn't work like that. Like stamps can't be a currency. It's yeah. like, guys, the world does not work right. the exact way Dude, that you think. Papers with a white guy's face on it. <laughs> exactly. What are we talking yeah. about? Like, and, and I got in so many arguments with like friends coming to visit. They just thought I was lying. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not how the world works. Like, we've been taught it's like this. I'm like, guys. Dude, and every system has different currency. Yeah. Like, cigarettes is a really common one. Yeah. Stamps, I've heard. Like, yeah. I had a friend that was in a low security that was doing mackerel. Yeah, mackerel, mm. mackerel was in the Brooklyn jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, people are trading mackerel as currency. Yeah, you tell me it's not a currency. I can go buy a cell phone, drugs, like, Bro. food, a cleaner, yeah. like, right. clothes. There was a, a personal guy, trainer from these like fish packets. Like, people don't realize how much money you can make in prison. There was a guy yeah. in a system down south that was making like twenty six million over like a year or two. I mean, that's could be. Yeah, you gotta go back to jail, bro. Uh, <laughs> one of the he was big, making yeah. money doing like heroin. Yeah, one of the big problems oh. there is people. Like, if you're a drug dealer and you go to jail for selling drugs, you're probably not gonna stop being a drug dealer, right? Yeah. So they just start being drug dealers in jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's part of the issue. And like, I saw so many drugs, like literally for the first time in my life in prison. Mm-hmm. The guys that bring it in and the markups are insane. Yeah. So, you know, if something costs $10 here, they would sell it for like, you know, $500 in there. Mm-hmm. Sure. And people were making real money. Yeah. And there's also a lot of drug addicts there too. So you kind of have like, you have a captive audience who is desperate and hooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's there's no better a, a market is formed yeah there's yeah. no better market yeah. if you're a, a drug dealer and especially if you can get like yeah. a rich white kid hooked on some heroin yeah like do, were people trying to get you strung out i would be offered drugs like constantly i'm like yeah. it never got to the point where like it was pushy but it's always been like oh yo man like you know you, know, you ready it's time like yeah you want to hit yeah it, literally, literally yeah whoa yeah yeah that's so crazy. It's like and it's scary too and that's how you get in trouble there that's how saw most of the issues came when you know a kid would come and get hooked Mm-hmm. His family doesn't send him enough money to cover the bills. And yeah. like, you don't want to owe the MS-13. Like, it's not going yeah. to end well. Did like, you make a, uh, a Fifi or a Susie? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> it's like a little, uh, it's like a little jerk-off bag. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> I actually do know what that is now. No, I did not make a Fifi. <laughs> is, that, is that what they were called? <laughs> I, like, I actually remember now someone like referring to it as that. Yeah, Hilarious. But, uh, but you Hilarious. never made one. No, I never made a Fifi. What, were you, what was your stroke game? You were just going uh, <laughs> just hand-to-hand combat or what? <laughs> Oh God! Come on, baby. Uh, just thinking well, about the, thinking about the pedophile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude. There were a lot of pedophiles. Yeah, exactly, dude. But you're like, I did not need a Fifi. Okay. But, yeah. Beyond the Fifi situation, you literally you'd walk down the fucking dorm rooms, and it's like if you offer me a hundred million dollars. If I could go and fucking round twenty of these people up, I would have no idea where to start looking. Besides the guy from the web hosting business, I got one. I got one. Like, where do these guys come from? And you can just like look at them, and you just know they're a child molester. Oh, like, it's just uh, something's wrong. Like their ears too high up on one side, their eyes yeah. are twisted. It's like, <laughs> something here is just the wrong. The vibes are off. These vibes are off. Yeah, oh, that's, it's, it's fucking. Mean, it's like gross, but like, yeah. Like, 
I, I literally would say, like, I, I would talk to him, like, you can give me $100 million. I cannot find 20 of these guys in the world. I just would, wouldn't know where to go. Mm. They'll find you, buddy. They'll follow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They start will, posting my 13 year old ass picture fucking, online. You gotta, <laughs> I got them all. <laughs> you put that little tight ass up there, they're going to start flocking. I mean, that's my, crazy. My pimply, prepubescent yeah. butt. Yeah. But I mean, is it is it weird having to shit in front of someone? Yeah. Like getting over that for the first time or like jerking off in the top bunk, like, <laughs> it's all weird. Weird. like to the wall. It's all weird. Dude, I mean, solitary, the toilet is like here. Yeah. And the bed's like here. And, and for part of it, you have a cellmate. Yeah, I know. You were telling the story so with bags. Yeah, it's fucking just shits. I mean, like, you're, you're here. Yeah, do you, you get turn. over it pretty quickly? Like, Dude, I think you just block it out. Hmm. You just like, it's a, we have like a weird human ability, and we all do it, right? Where when we have options, it's easy, we get disgusted easily or like get displeased easily. Mm-hmm. When we have no options, we just fucking mentally just tune it out. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned so much that it's thirst for freedom, the desire yeah. to be free, mm-hmm. and now you are in the epitome of the confinement. Yeah. Like, literally, yeah. the defi- textbook definition of confinement, a lot of it is cruel. Like, obviously, we know the prison system is not yeah. necessarily the most fair to the people that are in there. Um, how are you mentally dealing with that restriction of freedom? The, the most, the utmost restriction of freedom. I had a, a, a guy uh, who's in solitary with me for a period of time, and he said, like, almost the whole world is behind bars. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, sure. We're, like, locked in this cell. And all we want to do is get out of solitary confinement at this point and be back in, like, the regular jail. But you're in the regular jail, and then you're locked, then you're stuck inside that fence, and all you want to do is get out of the fence. Hmm. And you get out of the fence, and you're stuck with your shitty husband or shitty wife or shitty job, and all you want to do is get away. And he's like, and that, like, mentality, whether true or not, helped me try to, like, justify what I was going through and just, like, mentally separate the pain from like what was actually happening so i feel like hmm. that mentality was like, actually pretty interesting he's like what do you want most like right now i'm like i want to go outside he goes okay so we're gonna get out of here at some point we're gonna go outside and then you're gonna be like all right just i want to get outside the fence and like i just kept putting that in my mentality where it's like hey nothing's gonna be perfect just fucking suck this shit up do you think you're gonna get married for sure and you think you would have kids yeah for sure and now those things would I think be... jail maybe want kids really yeah now those things would be an infringement on freedom like you have a wife, yeah. all of a sudden now you can't bang other people. Or if you do yeah. want to bang other people, you got to get permission. Yeah. Or like there's all of a sudden now a restriction. <laughs> all problems. Right? Like that, problems. that is infringing on yeah. your freedom. And so how are you going to navigate capitulating on those aspects of your freedom? And have you worked on that? Yeah, I think if you can solve this, you will be, you'll be a genius. Let's go, baby. No, I think that's a good question, though. But like if you yeah. want to get married, like you're going to give up that aspect of your freedom. And... I'm curious, like, if you've thought about it, like, if you know mm-hmm. what that would look like. Yeah. Or if that's still something you're working no, on. No, it's actually a really good, good, good way to put it. And I never actually equated, like, freedom to these desires, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think, like, sure, having kids is a desire, getting married is a desire, but it does hinge on freedom. But also, I think finding fulfillment, if you can, like, s- switch my mind right now from finding freedom to finding fulfillment, I think that's, like, that's the blue pill for me. And... I don't know. It's like those moments are more valuable than anything else. Thing at the end of the day, absolutely. Like, it's just it's tough, right? That I think is the ultimate dichotomy, especially of like ambitious men. Yeah, is you desire freedom, and then your freedom ultimately enslaves you. For sure, you're stuck on an island with all these people that hate you, and the internet's making fun of you. Yeah, and you're in the pursuit of freedom. Yeah, and that ultimately gets you into a slavery, exactly. a slavery to what you're working on to the people that you owe money to like it isn't it is entrapping yep and yeah all things lead to their opposites i think when you're stripped to nothing too you start like thinking about like looking back now about what i was like thinking of in solitary 
I wasn't like, oh, I'm wishing I'm waking up on the island desperately trying to raise $3 million off my life is fucked. Like, I wasn't wishing about that. I was, like, thinking about, like, the one time that I was hanging out with a friend who, like, didn't want anything from me. I didn't want anything from him. We're just, like, enjoying the moment. And, like, that's what you craved. I didn't crave the stress of the freedom. I craved the intangible moment where there was, like, nothing tangible that was coming from it. Yeah. And it's, like... I don't know, but it's like, I still have ambition, right? But it's like, how do you marry the ambition with realizing like what actually is important? Yeah. And like, you need to be ambitious enough to put yourself in a position where you can, where you can have those moments. So it's kind of like the double-edged sword. That fulfillment, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, it's all about fulfillment. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at the guy that has a nine to five, but has like kids that love him. Mm-hmm. He has the emotional freedom of having a wife that loves him and takes care of him. Mm-hmm. Like kids that will eventually take care of him. Yeah. Like a job that mm-hmm. he feels fulfilled in, that he feels like he's helping people. Mm-hmm. To me, that is freedom. Yeah, he's got a nine to five and yeah. he has like a shitty house. Yeah. That is freedom. I'm jealous of the mindset that will allow that person to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I think that makes sense. I've like talked to people about that where it's like, oh, wouldn't life be easier if you were content with complacency yes and i think that it's possible for people to achieve that through settling the debt of their insecurity yep very smart yeah and yeah. like i yeah i think that's the ultimate accomplishment and i'm i'm jealous people have figured that out yeah i think you can figure it out yeah that's really cool if you can i i absolutely think you can mm-hmm. i think all people can mm-hmm. and i think the path looks different for different people for sure um and hopefully the new pursuits that you're working on uh won't manifest as this desire for freedom and that they can manifest as a desire for fulfillment do you think that you have to fail first before you find that complacency i don't think it's essential i think mm-hmm. that failure is inevitable and that you will mm-hmm. fail but i also think you can observe large failures and that you can learn from other people's failures so i don't i think some people might need to experience them themselves mm-hmm. i feel fortunate like i said i have five older siblings yeah. i saw a lot of failures okay i saw drugs DUIs, yeah fucked up shit yeah. and i was like oh i'm not gonna drink mm-hmm. until i'm 24 or whatever yeah i'm not gonna do drugs i'm not gonna experiment with shit that my older siblings experimented with so i do think failure is essential i don't think it has to be internalized yeah and that the most observant people can avoid some of the pain from that mm-hmm. and if you're able to avoid the pain you're able to avoid the trauma and the trauma will then beget more more failures because then you're still dealing with the greater chasm of insecurity interesting and uh yeah, like that's my that's my fear is that like the pain that you've experienced from this whole event is going to grow that insecurity, and that if you're able to settle that, I think that's a really powerful place to be in. That's really cool. I think that's awesome, and I think yeah. I think everyone's able to do. It. I think all people very inspiring, and I think everyone is dealing with it. I also mm-hmm. I don't think it ever goes away. I think it is constant work, and I hope that the new projects you're working on can can do it. Can Thank you tell you. me about Pirate? Yeah, so it's like. Wow, harsh transition from. <laughs> wow, Segway, from, my, my bad. I also did notice that you're like, bro, I gotta have a pirate ship on the fucking island. I need this pirate ship yeah, during dude. the festival. I just we just went from finding fulfillment to being a pirate. So let's go. But, well, dude, maybe pirates are fulfilled. I yeah, don't know. Maybe they are fulfilled. Sailing around the world, Pretty killing good people. Good to me. Wide open ocean, <laughs> wrong pirate booty. Let's go. <laughs> Everything is all good. Dude, I always think about that though. Like literally, I try to put myself in the mind of people like way back in the day. Yeah. How did those people feel that are on like a tiny boat in the middle mm-hmm. of the Atlantic like 1400s looking at the sky just being like what the fuck is all of this like yeah. it's in, it's an insane mm-hmm. feeling to just be like in an ocean no one's ever been in yeah. so in that regard yeah. maybe pirates are fulfilled maybe they're enlightened yeah. who knows <laughs> in your favorite book as Steve Jobs said it's better to be a pirate than to join the Navy hey Boom. there you that's go that's all I'm saying yeah. um, so talk to me about yeah, pirates so it's like this time around it's all about focusing on 
what I can do. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm good at bringing people together from different backgrounds. I'm good at taking them on adventures. Genius marketer. And good at, you know, marketing these adventures and these relationships as they're formed. Mm-hmm. I'd love to open up a hotel in the Caribbean one day yeah. and like host people there physically and then build tech to share that experience with the rest of the world. Yeah. I think of some time away from that. But like right now, it's like really lucky to have opportunities where these backers and experts want to come in, want to make fire happen as a Broadway musical, perhaps <laughs> as an event and pay people back along the way. And like, yeah. that's why I'm here. It's like the opportunity to fulfill the initial vision while paying everybody back and doing what I think is something incredible. Is it going to be a Broadway musical for sure? For sure. It's already in the works. Yeah. Script? Uh, I don't think the script is done. Okay, cool. And when do you think, like, again, you don't got to put a harsh yeah. date on it because we know we have problems with this, but having <laughs> a uh, a window that you think that there'd be like an opening night, like, do you think it'll be next year? I hope if by the end of 2024, it'd be cool. That's but, awesome. Like, I'm not putting it like that in stone, but like, I think that's a cool, cool deadline. How do you want to be represented in the film or in the, in the play? I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. I think they have like a tagline they're using to describe the character that plays me. Yeah. And I think it's about like, it's about dreaming. I don't want to use the exact, the exact words, but sure. I think a Broadway play is actually really interesting where it's like a mix of a music concert plus the storyline of like all the wild shit that had to happen in all the right slash wrong ways to make fire yeah, yeah, what yeah. made fire. And I'm not dealing with like any of the like logistical part of this. I think like I'll do the marketing and if I can like go around and fuck up the like the venue in some way to make it like authentic, I think that's fun too. Yeah. <laughs> is it going to be like Hamilton where everyone's black? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, thankfully, I have no say in the casting. So, oh, dude, you gotta do it. I'll play the fifth on that one. That would be far. Jail, dude. jail, jail. Everyone's rapping and shit. That'd be kind of sick. Our, our, our safe word was jail. So, okay, yeah, my bad. Jail, jail, jail. Safe word, safe word, safe word. Okay, cool. And so, I'm curious if you're gonna be represented like in the authentic way, where like there's good parts, there's bad parts. If it's gonna be like a characterization where you're like all bad, or if you're all good, mm-hmm. but you don't have a direct say. Yeah, I have no creative control. Oh, really? Like, we've actually were pitched by a couple of different production companies on this and of course they like sell you the bill of goods like when they want you to go with them yeah so they're all they're saying they're gonna give me a fair shake but we'll see when it comes out is that scary yeah for sure and actually like just finished filming another documentary mm-hmm. that's gonna come out in the fall yeah. and i have no creative control and that's fucking scary they basically film me four or five days a week for three months yeah and with however many hundreds of hours of footage that is like you can make me seem like steve jobs you can make me seem like some like wacko washington square park is high all day right it's like, sure. <laughs> like how are they going to cut this up and like that's nerve-wracking yeah that's really tricky and then Firefest too yeah so the plan was to just do this as a broadway play and like by do it i market it and like let the pros be pros so i did a tweet saying fire festival 2 is coming soon that's it and the tweet just like created this entire media storm literally had 512 people email me asking to invest and not in the position where we're going to be taking like a bunch of investors but had a couple of like major players come in and my immediate response is like, if you want us to do fire festival two there, we need a couple things. And of those things are paying back all the restitution. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a very real chance that a big player comes in, brings down a music company. I don't get involved in any of that. I do the marketing and they pay back everybody who's owed mm. and execute fire according to the initial vision. So if we fucking do that, Let's do this podcast from the festival and we're off to the Let's races. Let's go, baby. Do you yeah. think you'll lean into the uh, the the brand and the memeing of Fire Festival? I think you have to. And <laughs> like the sign is like fire, but then the E is like hanging off of it or some <laughs> shit. Like I think you have to in a certain yeah. capacity. But also look at the upside. If you are someone who is seeking attention for business, 
And this could be an investor, a nation, a tourism board, and you success, successfully execute Fire Festival, like the amount of media attention you would get is just fucking huge. Yeah. So, yeah, especially from a production company's perspective, it's like, yo, we're able to take the biggest festival failure ever and turn it into a massive success. Mm -hmm. We're the best. So there's a lot to gain. I can see that from a from Mm -hmm. a like a production standpoint. So people have the chance now where they weren't part of the failure and they weren't part of the crime. But now they can be part of the redemption redemption. And like that is really, really viable. So that's my pitch to all you guys circling. Yeah. And, <laughs> and do you know roughly when that could be or where? I think you're looking at at least 18 months away. But that's what I like to hear. Yeah. If, if a deal happens sooner in terms of people getting paid back, a deal happens sooner. So yeah. mm-hmm. let's fucking go. And you, you're down to do it even if you make zero dollars and it's just able to go to For sure. retribution. Mm-hmm. Do you know how fucking happy I'd be if I can wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, I paid you back. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. that does not make up for the moral and ethical violations. But mm-hmm. like as a human, it's like. Yeah, that's way cooler than having a fucking Ferrari, like, yeah. right? Or whatever they could use with the money that I would get paid. Like, that's it's kind of a nice perspective. Yeah. Like, it must be a little annoying if like a homeless guy asks you for money and mm-hmm. you're like, bro, you have more money than me. <laughs> literally, <laughs> oh, literally. Like this homeless guy is wealthier than me, bro. He has zero dollars. I would use that lie in jail all the time. People would be like, oh man, you're so rich. I'm like. I promise you I'm the poorest person in this entire jail. Bro, <laughs> like, what I would give, I'm the poorest person here. <laughs> what I would give to have zero dollars. Yeah, exactly. They're like, no, man, you're the richest. Like, dude, I am actually the poorest person in here. No exaggeration. Oh, man. Well, dude, I, I know you got a, you got yeah. another call. I really appreciate yeah, you both. Man. Thank uh, you, Mark. For joining me. This is awesome. I genuinely, I hope the best for you. And I hope that uh, you're able to find that fulfillment and that all the rest of your endeavors are, are great and successful and you're able to pay retribution and, uh, get out of this hole that that you put yourself in. But thank you, uh, and thank you so much. I'm sorry yeah. we didn't really get into to no, your story. No, what I'm here for, man. I like to just chime in here and there, make uh, sure it doesn't say anything he's not supposed to say. You know, you I just want to give a shout out to John. Yeah, John's yeah. been a, been a great uh, from the advice standpoint over the past few weeks. It's been a pleasure getting to know him. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he's a great guy, and I think seeing his drive to succeed has been inspiring to me as well. And like John has a presence and sticks to his guns, and like uh, I'm in awe in a lot of ways. So thanks for coming out, John. Thanks, man. Thanks. I didn't know about that. Uh, I didn't know about the pedophile thing, though. So we got to rethink this relationship. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much. Appreciate please, you. Please don't ask me for a picture. <laughs> I'm 31 now. It's, not good. it's got a lot of wear and tear. Does it, though? Uh-oh. Prison was rough. I'm just kidding. Prison was rough. Uh, Chris Hansen. Uh, thank you guys. Appreciate yeah, you. Mark, thank awesome. you. Peace.